Hope you're doing good this morning. Um, so glad you're here. We are in week three of our series. Um, we've been walking through the eighth chapter of the book of Romans. Um, and if, if you know anything about the book of Romans, it's good stuff. Um, so we're affectionately calling this series Romans 8. Makes sense, right? Makes sense. Perfect sense. So we've been walking through this, this chapter, one chapter. And you might say, that's a, that's a, you know, seven weeks? It's a long time to be walking through one chapter, but uh, if, you'll, if you've dug in at all to this chapter so far, and if you've ever read it before, um, there's so much to unpack, and we just felt like, hey, you know, um, if we're going to really call out some truth for us, we wanted to um, kind of take it, take it slow and go through this and, and get all that God wants us to get all of, out of this. So um, Romans 8 is all about the, the Spirit's work, the Holy Spirit's work in the hearts of people. That's kind of the main theme. So it's all about life through the Spirit of God. Life through the Spirit of God. Um, uh, but before we jump in, can we just take a moment and pray and uh, ask God to help us understand what he wants us to understand this morning? Let's, let's pray. Father, um, we come to you and we understand that um, without your Spirit working in this place, in this moment, um, None of us can really understand with our own intellect what you have for us, God. We understand that our, we are limited in our understanding and our wisdom, God, compared to yours. And there are some things in Scripture, many things in Scripture, that uh, we're just, just not going to be, um, they're not going to make sense. Um, they're not going to um, be logical to us. But we know that, Holy Spirit, your logic is different than ours. And so we ask that you would open our eyes and ears to understand your word this morning. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So this morning we'll be in Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. We're kind of just going to park right there, and we'll, we'll bring in some other scripture to help us understand it. But So before we dive into these four verses, I want us to go back for a second and look at the first two verses of this chapter because I think they're the linchpin verses of this whole series. Uh, Shannon, would you agree? The first, and in fact, the first verse especially is kind of, it holds everything together. If you don't understand the first verse, and it, the first verse doesn't weigh on you, then, then the rest of it's going to just maybe probably be a little noise to you. So we want to understand, and we, wanna, we, want, we want the first two verses to resonate with us before we go on. So we're going to read it again. Uh, I'm reading from the NIV. This is Romans 8, 1 and 2. It says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. You know, we could just kind of say amen now, couldn't we? Like, um, I, I love the fact that... Uh, if you go back into the, the last part of chapter 7, there, there's this famous um, monologue. It's like Paul is dueling with himself, talking about the flesh and the spirit. And he says, I, I, I want to do what's right, but I just don't do it. And I don't want to do this over here, but I end up doing it. And he's talking about how wretched he is. This is a person who's probably writing this from prison for, for preaching the gospel. You think about that for a minute how close to God he was, and yet he writes about the, the, the struggle between our natural selves and the spirit within us if we belong to Christ. There's a, there's a Holy Spirit 
that indwells us and that is, that is trying to change our nature, right? So he's talking about the war of the flesh and the spirit, which is really, really important in this whole chapter. I mean, that's the thing that we want to keep bringing back to your attention. And everyone in the room can relate to this, I hope, right? The war between the flesh and spirit. I'm not just talking about right and wrong, because we can just go the cultural right and wrong, oh, you shouldn't do this, you should do that. I'm talking about like what God tells you you ought to do versus what the world tells you you ought to do versus what that, that the, old, the old me inside before I met Jesus is telling me what I ought to do and say. And then the spirit within me saying, no, Justin, that, that the old you is dead. You, you, you are now, you are now, you belong to God. And that, that theme of belonging to God is really important this morning as we talk. So this morning I would like to spend our time focusing on, I think, one of the most biblical, one of the most important biblical principles in Scripture, and that is uh, what we call the doctrine of adoption. So here we are in verses 14 through 17, and I believe these verses are um, the heart of the gospel. It's a clear picture of God's heart for us, and uh, it explains our identity and who we are uh, and how God views us. And I, I think sometimes that's, many times that's we lose sight of how God sees us and how we ought to see God, that, that relationship. So here we are in verses 14 through 17, so let's read them together. It says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again, Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. Your adoption. You are now a son or daughter of the Most High God. You are children of God. Then, it's, then there's this interesting part. It says, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we might share in his glory. So verse, right off the bat, verse 14 kind of talks about being led by the Spirit. So what does it mean to be led by the Spirit? Shannon touched on this last week, and I want to reiterate it because um, reminders are always good, Right? You know, sometimes in church we come ready to hear something brand new that we've never heard before, and we preachers are not going to meet your expectation. Sorry. We're doing the best we can. But I believe the Spirit is the one who reveals something new in an old passage. Amen? It's, it, it, you know, we are all we are is the vessel to try to communicate that message, but God does the rest, and, and so we are, we are weak and frail vessels. You know, the Bible talks about God uses the foolishness of preaching. Well, here I am. So be led by the Spirit, I think, means that God is now in the driver's seat of your life. But we have to cooperate, right? We gotta cooperate. We don't, just, we don't just step into a relationship with Christ and all of a sudden we are led by the Spirit 24-7, seven days a week. Amen? It's just, now we are, we are sealed to the day of redemption and we, we, we have a, a spirit 
in us that, that is eternal, and we, we, have, we have eternity to look forward to, and all that's taken care of, and how, praise God for that. But we, we kind of waffle back and forth between spirit and flesh. That's just who we are. And so just because you are saved, because you became a Christian at 12 or 19 or 25 or last week, doesn't necessarily mean you are being led by the Spirit in your life. It just doesn't. I hope that makes sense. See, we become God's children at salvation. And then the hard part is that we surrender to the Spirit every day. And that's not a one-time deal. That's a once-an-hour deal for me. I don't know about you. We surrender over and over and over. We have to surrender to the Spirit to be led by the Spirit. That makes sense? It just is what it is. It means that we're now led through this life as sheep by the Good Shepherd, right? As sons and daughters led by the hand through this life by a gentle and loving Father. Hope you get that. Hope you get that, um, that visual there. So adoption... I want to I want to uh, try to impress you. You know, sometimes we impress you with these great Greek words, but I love this word, huiothesia. Say that seven times fast. Adoption in the Greek, huiothesia, and this is the biblical definition of adoption. It's a legal term that it identifies a person's status within a family, and the nature and the condition of a true follower of Christ who by receiving the Spirit of God, their souls become sons or daughters of God. That is the biblical definition of adoption. Now, some of you are adopted in here. I'm not talking about spiritual adoption. I'm talking about for real, for real adoption. Or some of you have adopted. Um, I'm gonna share with you a story of some of my good friends later on in the service. Um, and their adoption story. Um, so hang tight. That's, I hope you'll enjoy that. Here's an interesting thing to know more about adoption as Paul understood it when it comes to that word, we have been adopted as children of God when he wrote this letter. See, in the Roman world in the first century, an adopted son was a son deliberately chosen by an adoptive father to carry on his name, to inher inherit his estate. Interestingly, the adopted child was not inferior in status to the children born naturally to that family. Now, we can say what we want, but sometimes in our culture, that's not the case. That's not the case. We can try real hard to, to maybe see, see them different, and we love them, but... I used to work um, in the uh, mental health counseling, behavioral health counseling field, and um, I saw many situations where um, the child who was being fostered or adopted was certainly treated differently, not in a good way, than the, the children born naturally to that family. And some of you can relate. Some of you can relate to this, and um, some of you have a story to tell, and I want you to think about that as we go through here because that, that word adoption is really, really important. Under Roman adoption, the life and the standing of the adopted child changed completely. The adopted son lost all of 
his or her rights to the old family and gained all new rights with the new family. Their, their, their past was essentially, essentially wiped away. Right? What mattered in, in the old family does not matter any longer. It doesn't hang over you. Are you starting to see the gospel parallels a little bit? This is so, so, so crucial. The old life is gone, completely wiped out with all the debts being canceled, all the, all the sins forgiven, all the, stu- like all the mistakes, they're, they're wiped out. There is therefore now no condemnation, right? But nothing from the past that counts against them in the present or the future, right? That's how Roman, the Roman world dealt with adoption. So there's adoption as we think of it, where a child is chosen and grafted into a family he or she wasn't naturally born into. But then there's this idea of spiritual adoption, and that's what Paul is talking about, and that's what we want to focus on, spiritual adoption. Of course, the most important thing is the adoption, spiritual adoption is the work solely of the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit's work. It is not your work. It is the Spirit's work in you. He's the one who works in a person when we accept Christ as our Savior. He is the one that changes our legal standing and grafts us into God's eternal family. Praise God for that. But then he uses an interesting word, an Aramaic word, in verse 15. It says, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Heard that word before, Abba? Not the group, Abba, Abba. No, no shade. Any Abba fans in here? I just want to see. Dang, I don't believe I'd have told that. I'm just kidding. Everybody's got a guilty pleasure, right? Yes, Abba would be in the guilty pleasure category, right? Amen? Amen? Dancing queen. Abba, Abba is an Aramaic word for father, but not just in the formal use of the word, right? I don't call my dad father when he shows up to eat dinner with me and say, hello, father. He'd be like, who are you and what have you done with my son? This is what Abba means. Listen to this. This is kind of, this is kind of taking the definition and put it in my own words, but this is the, the heart of what Abba means. When someone cries out, Abba, father, it's the picture of a child curling up in their dad's lap and calling him daddy. Like little, little kid. I remember when my kids called me daddy, and I remember the day that they stopped calling me daddy and started calling me dad. I, I had a hard time with it. I, it was, I had a mourning period. That's over. When my youngest started calling me dad, I was like, the end of an era. It was tough. Parents with young children, get ready. That's like, man, I had a tough, I, was, I went into a, into a little bit of grief. And yet, they might call me dad, but hopefully I'll always be daddy to them in the way that they know that they can come to me and I'll have arms open wide to my children. So children of God, let's break this down for a second. There's several things that we have to understand and we're, not, we're never gonna get this passage and what it holds for us. Children of God, so what's that mean? When we think of the term children of God, what do you think? You might think um, all God's created people. 
in a ge- generic and general sense, the children of God are the people that God created, right? Is, is, is that not what people usually say when they say we are the children of God, all God's created beings? But that's not what it means here in Romans 8. We have to go from creature of God to children of God. There's a, there's a, there's a, a leap that has to be made from creature of God to children of God. Yes, it's true that God loves all, everyone he's ever created. And in some sense, they are his children because we are image bearers of God. Every person that's alive that's ever lived, whether they acknowledge that God exists or not, they are image bearers of God. So in that sense, yes, they are children of God. But what Paul means is something different, right? If I don't, if I don't know my dad, my real father, and I don't spend time with my dad, I don't have any really relationship with him, am I really his child? Am I really, I mean, yeah, I share his DNA, but, if, but am I really, can I really call myself a child of God if I don't know God, right? It's just something to ponder. We've got to go from created to children. Created of God to children of God. And that's what the Spirit does at salvation. When we accept Christ, then the Spirit works in us when we say yes to Jesus and we receive him as Savior and Lord, and that's a different, that's another thing. Savior, we are born of God. Lord, we are led by the Spirit. Savior, we are born of God and salvation, eternally sealed and then, you know, marked by God as his children. And then Lord is being led by the Spirit. Lord means boss. It really means boss. You're in charge. You're in charge. In John chapter 1, verses 10 through 13, this is what it says. He was in the world, though the world made, though the world was made through him. The world did not recognize him. He came to, to that which was his own. And by his own did not receive, but his own did not receive him, meaning us, meaning the world, meaning people in general. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. See, many will claim, want to claim Jesus as Savior without bothering to call him Lord. Many want to claim Christ as their Savior without bothering to call him Lord. When Jesus is Lord, he's the boss. He leads us, and we are conformed to his likeness. That's what being led by the Spirit means. That's what being a a child of God means. Our nature, through the Holy Spirit's work, changes. And our character, our words, our actions, the Spirit's work in us becomes evident then others begin to see the byproduct of being a true child of God. Are you following me? Fruit of the Spirit. So down in verse 16 and 17, this is what it says in in, in Romans 8. It says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. The Spirit testifies 
We don't stand up in the court of law and say, I, I've decided that I'm a child of God. Well, yes, there is a surrender component, but that's a spirit work in you. That is, that's the spirit drawing you in, and then at some point, hopefully, you relent, and you surrender, and you say, yes, Lord, right? But you legally, you and I cannot legally declare ourselves children of God, right? No more than I can legally declare, declare myself a millionaire, identify as a millionaire you're gonna you're gonna accept that or not bank says no guarantee you and it says in in, in verse 17 it talks about us being co-heirs with christ Co it's talk, this is a, a legal term to confirm the person's status within the family he's a heir to all that belongs to the father the children of god are heirs to all that belong to father god amen right we have to see ourselves this way. We've got to begin to see ourselves rightly, right? Not with arrogance and pride, but with humility and, and almost sorrow for the things that we have done to grieve God's heart, Father God, Abba, and that we are called children of God not by our own merit, but by God's good pleasure through Jesus Christ. We, that ha, it has to sink in. If there's going to be any difference in your life and the people that you come in contact with that don't know Christ. We are co-heirs with Christ. That changes our legal standing in God's eyes. And we're adopted into the family of God and we're given an eternal inheritance and eternal life through Christ. And we now have inheritance that we once did not have. I want to uh, share the story of one of my closest friends this morning, um, Scott and Ashley Bailey. And Josh is going to put some pictures up. That's Scott. I grew up with Scott. And uh, this is Scott Bailey, and you'll see his wife, Ashley, in, in, in subsequent pictures. But and these are their two boys, Anel and Chase. Anel and Chase. Uh, he's an amazing guy. I consider him my brother. And so, as you might have guessed, um, Scott and Ashley adopted Anel and Chase. And I want to give you a little bit of their story. Anel was born in Haiti, um, very underdeveloped, very malnourished, very sick. Um, they first received info on Anel in July of 2001. They started the paperwork at the end of August of that year. They brought Anel home with them in July of 2004. And for Haiti, that's a pretty quick turnaround because uh, their adoption process is um, long and drawn out due to the instability of their government, basically. If you know anything about Haiti, you know. And then in 2016, they received information on, from, on a little boy in China. And they were in China, Scott was in China two weeks while the adoption process was finished. And the Baileys brought Chase home officially as a member of their family also in May of 2016 of that year. So uh, we've got a little surprise for you. The Baileys have agreed to send a little video message to us as a church this morning. So uh, let's watch that together. Justin and Porch Community Church family, uh, Ashley and I, thank you so much for inviting us to share our adoption story with you today. 
So when we were first uh, married and looking to start our family, we just assumed it would be um, like most people we knew and everybody else where we had biological children. Uh, we always were open to adoption, but thought that that was going to be way on down the road if it was possible. And so we thought if anything else, it was going to be, you know, plan B, C, or D. Um, but it ended up being the Lord's plan A for our life. So after walking through about a year of a family, uh, a close friend of mine who was doing foster care, um, after walking with them through that uh, for about a year, um, our hearts, or at least mine, started softening to uh, the idea of foster care and adoption. And when I stumbled upon a little boy's file and some of his information, um, it was the first one that I felt uh, like I should just randomly send to Scott. Didn't know why I was doing that, but I did. Um, and so we started to kind of figure out what are we doing with this? Um, and as we prayed, and as I prayed, I was going through a Bible study at the time, and a Bible verse I felt like was the answer to that prayer. And that verse is Hebrews 11, 8, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. And so it really spoke to us. It talks about inheritance. It talks about not knowing the plans that the Lord has, but just walking in faith and, and trusting in him. So uh, we talked about it. Didn't really get clarity as we prayed. And ultimately, I just said to Ashley, hey, you know, Peter, he, he uh, stepped out of the boat. The rest uh, stayed in the boat when Jesus called uh, him. And um, let's just step out in faith and trust that God's got a, a bigger plan and purpose for this. So, uh, Bye. Bye. Anel's nickname is Flash. Flash, like a superhero. And he's always smiling. Always. Biggest grin you've ever seen. Um, as they shared, uh, Scott and Ashley discovered um, that they couldn't have children. And um, then God sent them Anel and then Chase. You know, Anel and Chase did not choose the Baileys. They didn't choose to be adopted. The choice was Scott and Ashley's alone. Scott and Ashley pursued them and loved them as if they were their own, and they do. They love them. Ashley will tell you. Ashley loves those two boys as if she gave birth to them. It's hard to comprehend that, but it's the truth. I, you know, thinking, you parents will understand this. Um, and, and those who aren't parents yet and younger people, if God allows you to be a parent one day, you'll see this. Um, I think the clearest example of fathers, that God the Father's love for us is, is, is found in that, that parent-child relationship of, of a believer. Um, when my son was born, I did not think I could love anyone more than I loved my wife. Or as much and then when he arrived um, it's hard to explain I, I, I thought to myself in that moment hold first time I held him can't hold him now but first time 
You can, get, you can jump on my back. Come on. The first time I held him, this is what I thought. This must be just a tiny fraction of how God feels about me. And folks, how much more does our Father, our Heavenly Father, love us? Just like Scott and Ashley chose Anel and Chase. God has chosen you and me. He has pursued us. And if you haven't responded yet to his grace, he is still pursuing you right now. You see, we did not and do not pursue God. Look at me, please. We do not pursue God within our own self. Are you with me? We don't. We can't, apart from the grace of God. His grace and his alone and, and the Spirit's work in us draws us to him. God pursues every man, woman, and child that he may adopt him as his own. That he may adopt them as his own. First thing I want you to write down if you're a note taker to hear this morning is that adoption is costly. Adoption carries a great, great cost. Adoption's costly. It, it, you know, Ashley and Scott didn't have time to go into the financial cost. They did fundraiser after fundraiser after fundraiser, and they said, I don't know how God, I don't know how we're going to do it. Some of you have been in that boat, right? You, you've, you've, you've spent lots of money uh, trying to adopt or trying to have children. I've got friends that, that, that have testimony after testimony, some sitting in this room, and, and, and the cost is great, is it not? It's costly. But it's costly for the adopter, and it's also costly for the adoptee. There's cost on both sides. Colossians chapter 3, 13 and 14 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. The word redeem is in there. And the, the word redeem means to obtain or to set free by paying a cost, by paying a price. To obtain or set free by paying a price. What was the price God paid for our freedom and our adoption? It is his only son. The greatest cost. It cost God everything. It cost him his son. Adoption also carries a cost for us as well. It cost us everything as well. When God gives you his name and you become his children, we no longer live as our former selves. We are made new. We no longer have rights to our former lives. We don't just get to go back into the past and dig up old bones, right? But we do contrary to what God wants for us. We do anyway. We dig up those old dead bodies all the time. We try to resurrect them because we somehow the flesh and the spirit are just at war and we, we give in to the flesh and we go back to the former life sometimes. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, we are new creations in Christ. We are adopted into God's family. We no longer have rights to our former selves. And we have to give up those rights. It, it, it's called dying to self. We use this that, that term a lot, die, dying to self. It simply means surrender. Surrender, listen, surrender is the key to living a spirit-led life. Surrender. 
So adoption is costly. And lastly, adoption is final. It's final. The Holy Spirit works in us when we accept God's offer of salvation and by grace through faith in Christ to transfer us over from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light into God's family. I once was lost, but now I am found. Into the family forever because of what Christ did on the cross and because of the Holy Spirit's work in you. When you became a believer and received what Christ has done for you, you became an heir to God's inheritance, to all that God has, a co-heir with Christ, and true children of God. Your identity changed. Maybe that's not the way you see yourself this morning. Maybe you have a really difficult time seeing yourself as a child of God. Maybe you've done too much. Maybe you say, you know, God, you know, I, yes, I believe that God forgives. But maybe you're having a hard time with the God forgets part. The God cast those sins as far as the east is from the west. Maybe, maybe you try to dig up those old sins, those old mistakes, those old habits. When God's like, leave it. Leave it. You're free from that. Leave it. It would be like a nail one day when he grows up looking, coming in one day and saying, Scott and Ashley, not calling them mom and dad. Scott and Ashley, I appreciate what you've done for me, but I'm hopping on a plane. I'm going back to Haiti. Deuces. I mean, I guess he could do that. But why would he want to? Why would he want to? Anel had a hard life. Anel is, is, is going to have um, developmental disability challenges the rest of his life. He'll probably never, uh, he may never live on his own. Probably not. Um, they've had some major challenges because there was a nature, there was a nature inherent in him when they adopted him. Some of it they knew of and some of it they didn't, right? And so there, there are gonna be challenges his whole life. Um, some of you in the room know the challenge very, very well. And, and to, to you, I would say you are, parents in here, y'all are the greatest example of the gospel that could ever be. And I say that with so much respect for you, for you all. I, I, don't, I don't know that I have the capacity to love and to care like you all do. I, I hope I would, but I'm not there. See, through the Spirit's work, we are now children of God, heirs to the kingdom of God. We can identify as children of God right now through Christ. This is how God sees us. This is not, not as an orphan in filthy rags. but as co-heirs who've been given a great inheritance. All of this, all of the Father that he owns is now yours if you accept what Christ has done. The invitation to become a true child of God is open to everyone, every single person. It's open this morning. Have you been adopted into God's family? Can you rightly call yourself a child of God? Have you accepted God's invitation to salvation? through the love in Christ, the love of Jesus Christ. I, you know, this is something, probably a message that you've heard all your life, the invitation to come to Christ. 
but a, a room this big, there's little doubt that there's someone in here that truly doesn't know Jesus. There's little doubt. In fact, there may be someone in the room that you've gone to church all your life, you checked all those boxes, but there's something stirring in your heart that says, you know, I, I don't know that I'm a true child of God. I've called myself that by proxy because of the family I grew up in. My family goes to church. Isn't that, isn't that what we do? Isn't that, isn't that enough? It's not enough. It's not enough. Adoption is costly. It, it costs you everything. It costs us everything. Every day of our lives. For the rest of our lives. With the hope of glory in eternity to come. So the invitation is open. Um, I'm going to ask the band to come up as we close. I want you to hear me for a second. Can I rightly call myself a child of God? Meaning, do I have a relationship with Christ? Have I accepted his offer of salvation as a co-heir to the kingdom? If you have, if you've already said yes to Jesus, then be led by the Spirit in all you do. If you've said yes to Jesus, then allow the Spirit to lead you. Words, actions, everything you do. Surrender. But if you haven't, listen to me, if you haven't, today might be the day that the adoption becomes final. Listen to me. Today might just be the day that God adopts a brand new child into, into his household. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't it be amazing to leave here knowing that God has some new, new children in the family? Officially, officially, this altar is open down here. Of course, you, you, where you're sitting can be an altar as well. No one's going to pressure you to do anything, but I would, I, I, what we want is for you to be open to whatever God is telling you. Whatever God is telling you. Today we cry out, Abba, Father. Thank you, Lord, for choosing me, making me a part of your family. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. We thank you for, um, we thank you for your great love and your grace in our lives. We thank you that while we were dead in our sin, Jesus, you came and you paid the price so that we could be purchased and set free from sin and death. That is, that price, may that price weigh heavy on our hearts this morning. The great cost, the great cost of calling you Abba Father. Although it is a joy, and we, we do it with all joy and excitement, Father, we still have a war to wage here on this side of eternity with our flesh. The spirit and the flesh are warring. Even now, there are, uh, the flesh in us is trying to clog our ears, cover our eyes to the truth of the gospel. Holy Spirit, have your way in this place as we respond. It's in your name we pray. Amen.